Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the RW. I'm excited to be here with some past guests. Some of you guys may be familiar with them, but it is my mom and dad, pastor and pastor's wife, Macy, here with us today. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. I'm excited about getting into um, kind of picking up where we left off, but before we do that, I want to tell everybody, if you are enjoying this podcast, if you're getting something from it, if it's benefiting you, um, please like, share, go onto iTunes and review it. Give us five stars. Um, say something good about us. And then make sure that you're sharing this on social media because we're talking about a lot of things when it comes to mental health, uh, things going on in the community, upcoming events. Um, obviously we're talking about growth as Christians and many other things that have to do with our everyday walk, but please make sure that you're not only enjoying the content for yourself, but that you're sharing that with someone else. But I'm very excited to kind of pick up where we left off, uh, in what I believe was our first podcast. And we talked a lot about the past of Royalwood. We talked about some of the things that you guys had been through on a personal, uh, from a personal standpoint, but a lot of things about the church growth. And I think it was good for people to be able to hear uh, the humble beginnings, so right. to speak. It, it's really easy to look at what Royalwood is now, look at where Royalwood is, look at where you guys are, right. and take that without knowing some of the hardships that that create us. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, but if we don't if we do not have struggle in our lives, if we do not have those dark times, then the bright times are mediocre. Right. Uh then those good times that we have are not as enjoyable because you got to have the dark night before the joy comes in the morning. That's right. And I know that we've gone through a lot of that with Roy Wood and in and, and you guys' personal lives as well. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is, you know, uh, Dad, you have been here as pastor. It'll be 36 years this Christmas. You've seen a lot of things. You have, I mean, from building projects to uh, s- different seasons for the church. But I can remember a time when the church made a shift from uh, us just not being as self-serving to being more of what can we do to reach out past ourselves. Um, what what kind of took place to get the church to that transition? Well, I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint exactly when we started working in that direction. We'd always been interested in outreach. We, we've done every kind of outreach that you can possibly imagine. We've had experts in outreach to come in and talk to us about it, and we thought it was just knocking doors or inviting people to have Bible studies. I remember one time there was a guy that told me, he said, you know, we need to have seminars where guys like yourself uh, and other uh, progressive pastors uh, could get together and talk to us about these keys 
uh, for revival and church growth. And he he made it sound as if there was some kind of magical key that somebody discovers that if you just know what that is, you can put it in and it unlocks the door and everything's fine. Right. And I personally think that there are no magical keys. I think that you have to, with trial and error, find out what's going to work in your location and, and with your people and the circumstances of that. But it all has to begin with the people thinking outside of themselves. That is a humongous task to to turn people from from bless me to bless them. Right. That's just a hard transition. First of all, people like what they like, and the, most of the time, they they come to church because they want church the way they want church. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has this strange idea that church is about him, but we come in and think that church is about us. And so we, we, we get there, we want to sing our songs, we want to be blessed again, we want to have all these things. And so when you start thinking about outside of the church, people that are driving by, they don't even know that you exist, and you start having activities that bring those people outside into the church, people are not appreciative of the disruption Right. of their life, of their normal way. Somebody's in their chair. Somebody's in their pew. Uh, now you're singing songs that, that well, that's not the song I like, uh, but you're singing songs that you feel like these new people will like and make connections with. And you have to change the terminology. You know, we, mm-hmm. have, we have really antiquated religious terminology, not that we, in, that we invented, but was invented by religion many, many, many years ago before I ever came along, and people just continue that same religion, uh, religious uh, lingo, and when that happens, people that know nothing about religion come in, and they don't understand it at all. Right. So we first started having to say, let's change the way we're talking so that people will not feel excluded, but they would feel included. Well, and I remember one of the first things, as silly as this seems, but changing vernacular from visitors to guests you know that was one of those things where we sat down and was like we are ostracizing these people that are coming that are our guests if we say it's so glad to have our visitors here yes well that doesn't make people feel included no that 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 is exclusion at its best yeah instead of going no you're a guest what can we do for you guys how can we serve you yeah. how can we make you feel at home and and changing that mindset and to me that was one of the first things that i remember us saying verbally we got to quit saying visitors yeah. or visitors right. yeah we got to start yeah, saying guests right. we got to start saying these are our guests and one of the things that you've talked about for years as long as i can remember is the club mentality mm-hmm. right of Hey, once you get in here, now we give you the discount. Now yes. we give you the better parking spot. Right. Now we right. give you these things. And then making everybody else that that comes and that decides that they're going to be our guest, yeah. making them feel like, well, you got to work the hardest because you're not part of the in crowd. That's right. And I know, you know, reading the Bible, you, you see in passages of Scripture where it says, and Jesus saw the multitude, That's right. and he saw the people. And you realize that he was always looking out. It doesn't say 
he saw the disciples. No. It'll say, and he saw the people. He right. saw the multitude. He saw that the need. He was moved to compassion by the people right. or whatever. And so, you know, as we try to emulate him, uh, that's what we should be doing. Right. And I know that that can be a tough thing to come in and change when there's a mindset of it's all about me. That's right. Well, it's it's one of the hardest things that we ever had to do because I'm not saying that we we have been completely successful, but we've had a great deal of success, and I I salute our people because change is difficult, no matter sure. what wherever you are, and the longer you're at something or you're in something, then changing it, whether it's the the language, like you said, with visitors and guests, a visitor is somebody that just stops by. Right. A guest is someone you've invited and you've already got their bedroom fixed. They're going to stay the night with you. They're a guest. Somebody that just pops in, they're they're a visitor. It's a whole whole different mentality. It's a difference between being visited and hosting. That's right. Yeah. Right. And and then then we had to we had to change some of the vernacular, like brother and sister. Yeah. Uh, which I can't say that everybody's has changed that way of thinking, but I will tell you that I, I began to see that uh, when when you're in a Bible study or you're in a small group and you've got Brother John and you got uh, Sister Lana and you got Brother So and So and Steve, that makes him feel excluded yeah. from the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Yeah. And if you called him brother, which would be no problem, people will say, well, he, he's not a brother. Yeah. Well, that's the way he feels anyway. So we had to change that idea. There there was nothing disrespectful about, about calling somebody by their actual name. And part of that began early on in our in our movement. It started really early on in a lot of denominations because they wanted to show – uh, that they were united with each other, so he's my brother, he's my sister. Right. But we we started making moves to change that idea so that people would feel like they were included in the prayer request or whatever it is. And then we started reaching out to the community in every way humanly possible. Well, and we've obviously seen that in the you know very close aftermath of us doing the backpack giveaway and seeing over 1,500 people on campus. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that would have never been possible if we didn't say, well, we just want to do something to help the community. And I've had many people even ask me, and I know you've had this question as well, where they've gone, well, how many families have you seen from that? Yeah. Or or how many many people have been added to the church? Have you grown from it? Yeah. And... I've told them as well as I know that you have, we've never done it for that. Right. It was, we literally want to help the community. That's right. We're not trying to help the community and then slip in, hey, but be with us on Sunday. Right. Obviously, we would love for them to be a part of this community. Sure. But at the same time, we never did it with an ulterior motive. Mm -mm. It was done just as Jesus said, as you've done it to these, you've done it unto me. That's right. Right? If you fed them and you clothed them mm-hmm. and you gave them something to drink, then you've done it unto me. That's what he said. That's what we wanted to do is mm-hmm. serve our community, be a place of light when there's plenty of darkness at Walmart and at all these places where these shootings and stuff have taken place. Right. 
we wanted to say, no, but this is a safe place yeah. that you can come, that you can receive help, right. that you can receive you know, a, a financial help to you and your family and kids. Yes. And never thought, well, we hope that these people come and start paying tithe here yeah. or whatever. Um, and, and because of that, it, it's been amazing to see the shock waves of yeah. that from, you know, uh, Senator Abbott's wife being here with us, yes. with the other community leaders that have gotten involved, with the things that we have planned for the future right. when it comes to the backpack giveaway, and being able to be a household name in this community. You know, as I saw kids, you know, six, seven, eight years old walking with that backpack, I thought it may be 20 years from now, and that kid go, but I remember there were some people that took many hours to put supplies into a backpack at $40 a backpack, mm-hmm. you know, giving away 600 plus all the other things that were done. And they'll remember that at one day and say they gave and they didn't need to. Yeah. Our mentality, too, has changed, Brandon. With And I was thinking about this the other day. We have just kind of completed remodeling the church, and we had all of those kids and and families over in our student center with brand new carpet and after they left we had several stains on the carpet Mm -hmm. and i can remember a time when that would have just really been something that was hard for us to deal with because we just spent all that money but now we just look at it as you know what these people were here and we've just got to clean the carpet now yeah it's it's not a big deal we're we're here to help the community and of course we want to see people saved through the through these things that we do and hopefully that does happen but that you're right we're not after that we're after just helping them well and you know as we look at again jesus kneeling down and washing the feet of the disciples mm-hmm. and and teaching them the lesson that hey, the first is last and the last is first, that this thing is all about service. Right. It is all about service. And if we're not in his service, then what are we doing? It's just a complete, it's a a moot point. Right. Um, I think, too, though, uh, I I think this is one of the things that happens with that. And she was talking about how, how things get torn up. You know, you got kids here we had the school here 740 kids every day five days a week and and all the stuff that's torn up all the things that's done and the the problem uh, or, or the mentality so many times as she said is they're tearing up the church building but where there's fire there's going to be smoke right and so when the church has the fire of revival and evangelism this this other stuff is just smoke Right. It comes with the fire. The scripture said, "Where there is, where there is, uh, where the, where there is no harvest, the stall is clean. Right. But where there is harvest, the oxen's there, and the stall is muddy and dirty because it's been in the field plowing. Right. So there is a danger of just the clean stall. It's all perfect. Our perfect songs, our perfect way of doing it. We're all parking in perfect parking spots. We we have it in our mind. We're going to park." 
in the distant parking spaces so that the guests can park in the closest spaces. What a, what a novel idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the things you were talking about with, with the backpack giveaway, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, how many people come and, oh, what has it done? And, and, you know, they know that we're reaching out to people that have needs. Sure. So these are not the kind of people that are probably going to come and start, as you said, paying tithes and supporting the church. But there is a concept that is undeniable, and God God honors this every time. If you reach out to people that no one wants, God will send people that everybody wants. Yes. And that's one of the things I think that's hard for people to realize because they'll see a good, successful family, and they'll say, that's a good prospect. They'll see somebody struggling and in trouble, family problems, whatever, and they'll say, oh, they really don't deserve the kind of time yeah, that, yeah. that's necessary. Yeah, that's the people that we want to recruit. Yeah. And we're not trying to recruit people. We're leaving that up to God that's right. to recruit the people. Right. That's right. But last time I read, all we're supposed to be is the seed sowers. That's right. And then he will bring the increase. He does the increase. And the difference is, I think, is from going from, hey, we're going to make this increase and we're going to do this and we're going to make sure we get in front of the right people and all this kind of stuff, and you're just going, no, 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 we're going to help, we're going to serve, mm-hmm. and then, God, that we're, we're putting that back on you because right. you told us it was your responsibility. That's right. You're right. Um, Brandon, I wanted to say this. I think one of the things, too, that has helped us as a church to change our mindset is really being proactive uh, and intentional with what we are doing. And uh, most of you know that we have a little thing that we call Spark on Sunday mornings where we meet and we recite this saying together. And the thing that I like in that little saying that we say over and over, and I do believe this gets in our leaders' minds for sure, is the guests have our attention. And we say that three times. And that reiterates it on Sunday morning while we're there. We're there for the guest. We want to give them our attention. And I think when you do that with your church, then their mindset changes. I agree. And again, I think it's something that takes intention. You have to, uh, you know, it's it's always hard to turn a big ship. I mean, when when I was in shipping, it would take, you know, sometimes four tugboats and sometimes up to 30 minutes to turn a ship around so it's not something that you can just do quickly and turn on a dime it takes years Mm -hmm. of saying stuff it takes intention of saying we're going to get out in our community right we're going to do everything that we can do and get the focus from us to the people that's right right um one of the things that i wanted to talk about on more of a personal level and uh you know i want to talk a little bit about harvey too because i know that was something that that not only hit personally for our family because you guys lost your house, um, had seven feet of water or whatever it ended up being in it. But I wanted to talk about the year 2012. <laughs> and um, those of you that, that know our family... That was not the year from heaven. Mm-hmm. That, was, <laughs> that, that has probably gone down as one of the worst years... Um, for our family and our church. And just to give the quick timeline, and then we can kind of dive into these things, was the first thing that kind of kicked it off was in January of 2012. uh, My sister, Lorna Wells, which is now Lorna Wells, 
decided to marry uh, someone who was of mixed race, which is Torrin Wells, which has been on the podcast. And uh, my brother-in-law, love him to death. And um, just very excited about all the things that has happened with him and, and with his career and music and everything else. But much to our uh, dismay, if you want to say it that way, we found out that there were a lot of people that didn't like the fact that Brittany was going to marry somebody that was a mixed race. Right. Uh, that, or, or was of mixed race. And to be honest, you know, I grew up in a home where racism was not a thing. Right. I grew up in a home where, uh, you know, as, at a very early age, mom, your brother, Kent, um, decided to adopt. Right. First of all, he started out with one child, right. uh, which is John Kyle. And then after that, he adopted two brothers, two twin brothers, and a sister. Right. And all of them were mixed race, right. um, black and Caucasian. And John Kyle, of course, has some Indian in him as well. But so we kind of grew up around that. Right. Um, the neighborhood that we grew up in was very m- much mixed. You know, I, I found a book not too long ago um, from my. I was five or six, so I was in first grade, and it talked about my best friend and who that was, and it was, uh, we called him Mojay, but his name was Maurice, and so, again, we just kind of grew up like that, you know, I I always had friends that were, uh, you know, Caucasian, Hispanic, Uh, I had black friends, I mean, I I just, we always grew up that way, it was never a thing, we never looked past it, everybody was equal, but that came as a pretty big shock to us that people were vehemently against it. Yes. I mean, not just, hey, we don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. But, and maybe you guys can expound on that a little bit more on some things that happened when it comes to that. Well, we, we literally had about 100 people walk out during this time the next few months after Brittany married. I, I don't know that we lost anyone right before she got married, although um, we did send out invitations, and some of the saints in the church sent those invitations back, just showing us their displeasure, uh, which was a – I mean, we were literally shocked. We, yeah. we just couldn't believe that people felt that way. I grew up in Nacogdoches, Texas, where there's a large – percentage of black people i went to school with them i remember when they integrated the school um and so it was not a deal to us just like you said but uh, we realized very quickly we are in the south (laughs) yeah and um, there's a lot of people that don't like this they there were people that actually felt like it was sin for britney to marry torn and and i mean how how crazy yeah. <laughs> is that i mean and and i know that at that time there were emails sent by people uh there were facebook messages sent one of those messages which torn made public on facebook i remember that's terrible uh it was terrible it, racial slurs yes. everything in it and you know for us i remember that 
I mean, we were just taken aback mm. at, at the whole thing. And again, to see people that we had been uh, close to, we thought for right. many years that yeah. were in the church and all that to come out and say that was just unbelievable. And then I know at that same time, um, there were some things going on with me and my marriage at that time. Right. Um, you know, at which that ended up in divorce. Um, I was the administrative pastor at the church at that time. Um, that was, that was actually one of the later things. So I'm getting out of chronological order here before that in February, right around Valentine's day. I remember you guys, uh, I believe reached out to me and Brittany. I'm trying to remember how it all played out, but reached out to us and said, we need to talk to you guys. And we sat down, and you said, Dad, that you had had some complications and come to find out that you had leukemia. Right. And, you know, now looking back on it, I realize that from my standpoint, I never accepted it. Um, I would love to call it faith, but probably more than faith, it was denial. Yeah, yeah. this can't be happening this to us. This can't be happening yeah. to us. This can't be happening to my dad. Right. And um, I think a lot of the things that followed that had to do with um, that denial. Right. And, and, and to be transparent you know, just affected me in a lot deeper way than I realized. Right. Um, and that, and ha- don't forget, we had, during that time, we had a minister that was very connected to our church and had a lot of um, pull with our people, had great relationship with many of our church people who was undermining your dad at the time. And I don't know, he may want to say something about that. Well, I I obviously remember that because for me on a personal level, that person was a mentor for me. Right. And, uh, and I know, you know, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, but I think it's important to be transparent about these things because um, to be honest, as I look back at that in, in my life, I go, good Lord is the perfect storm. It's like, right. Yeah. We're going through this with Brittany and this whole transition. We're going through dad has leukemia. I'm having some issues personally with my marriage, things going on. My mentor, you know, I remember when I got the phone call that said I received an email from this person and they're basically telling me that I shouldn't listen to your dad and that, you know, basically trying to turn them against dad and this was one of the the closest people to us Mm -hmm. that was trying to be turned at that time right Right. and i remember there was a a a big exodus of people surrounding that where it was like hey there's being some things done here as far as you know the direction that they're going is not the right direction and and all this is happening and it was like, can one more thing happen? And in defense of some of those people that left during the mass exodus, some of those people obviously needed to go for our church to move forward and, and go on and be what it needed to be. But 
they had this this minister who they trusted sure. that was undermining everything mm-hmm. that was going on here at Royal Wood. Yes. And your dad mostly undermining him and so they followed him as sheep do. Sure. And so uh, I want to say that some of those people have come back. They've apologized uh, through all of that. And so there's been some good things that have happened through all of that. Absolutely. And no no doubt that that person used their authority. Right. Um, you know, or, or misused their authority, however you'd like to say that. And and the, the bad thing that I see in that is the aftermath with some of those people um, who have just not been the same, right? Um, in whatever way, right? And and you know, at that time, I know we were trying to navigate all of that. Um, it was just so many things going on. It was, and you know, looking back on it now, it's like all of those things came with just a few months, you know, from each other. I, I know that again. I was going through that with my wife at the time then that ended in divorce it was just a whole thing and that that whole season of my life feels like a fog i mean if there's ever a time in my life that i look back and go okay maybe maybe i know how joe felt a little bit right. uh you know not not to that extent but i i think that we could all say we went through it during that time. Well, and a lot of those things were happening kind of without us being aware because we were having so many things going on in our personal life. And, of course, your dad felt terrible. We didn't know at first why he felt so bad. Uh, but he he was very sick, and so his mind was not clear. I was caught up in wedding plans, and then, of course, him having the leukemia, and then with your divorce all of those things were huge yeah one of them would have been huge but then we probably would have caught what was happening with this minister if it hadn't have been for all of those personal things so it was a perfect storm yeah well i'll I'll tell you this the very worst judgmental uh, judgmental spirits the very worst of prejudiced and and racist things can come from the church setting and i'm talking about any church all churches yeah all denominations one thing in church in general all churches there's a there's just this self-righteousness that comes uh that i i'm i'm better than them or i i would never have that failure i would never fall to that regard when you do have difficulties in ministry or or in the church a lot of times people pull away from you because they don't want to be identified with uh something like that that you're going through something right uh, i want to be with success not with failure the other thing is you can the church people can say church people in general now i speak about just anybody they can all say, I'm not racist, until they have an opportunity to be racist. Yes. Then you find out if they really are. I agree. It's that it's that girl that comes home with the black boyfriend, and right. she's a white girl. Or the white guy comes home, and he's got a, a black girlfriend. That's when are you or are you not 
racist at that moment. Yeah. And so with that comes justification. Uh, people look for scriptures. Uh, the 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 minister that had created so much grief. He he was telling people that the Bible says not to be unequally yoked together. So as if black and white people would be unequally yoked if they were to marry, and the Bible has no reference to that at all. It's talking about believers and unbelievers, not yeah. skin colors. But people get caught up in that, and then it contaminates other people, and it just goes and goes and goes. And what we realized at that moment, I remember one time we went out to eat with Brittany and Torn, and they had just gone through excruciating things, and they were fixing to get married, and I remember exactly where I was standing, the restaurant and everything, and I turned around, I put my arm around Torn, and I, was, I, I got tears in my eyes, and I said, I just want to apologize to you. It's not supposed to be this way. I was apologizing for people for their their hatefulness, for their ugliness, uh, and all of that. And today, on this on this podcast here, talking today, even though I've forgiven people that that did those things, I'm thankful that I'm not dealing with them. Yes, because I think sometimes the leopard can't seem to change his spots. They may hide it better. They may do something better. Those that returned to the church returned in repentance with kindness, with love, uh, disappointed that they were ever caught up in anything that was was out of the ordinary. And it gave us a chance to learn. It gave us a chance to learn how to accept people. It gave us a chance to expand how we feel about things and understand how we feel about things. And uh, I knew that some of these people that felt these feelings about racism, there would come a day that I would have grandchildren. They would be mixed race. How would these people feel about my my grandchildren? Yeah. So I think it helped us to understand what people go through. And uh, I can say that God brought us through. God brought us out. Absolutely. Yes. He brought people that we never that we never imagined. He he put us together with people that that has made the church what it is today. But during those dark moments, it was hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And through that, even though there were people that left, I salute today that great group of people that just continued on. They may not have understood everything. Right. They may not have known everything. But they had a loyalty and they stuck it out, and they saw it through. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And so to this day, their children, their grandchildren, we feel like they're a part of our family because they stood with us in our darkest hour. Well, and, you know, along with that, I mean, obviously, you know, now you've had no leukemia for almost how long now? Seven years, probably. Seven years. So, what, it was about a year after you were diagnosed that they could not find any abnormal cells whatsoever. Right. That's right. Right. I mean, that's, that that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing, there and obviously to God be the glory. Yes. Yeah. But we didn't know that then. No. We didn't know that then. We no. had no idea how much time you had. No. We had no idea what was going to happen to your health. That's right. And here we are, eight nine years from that now well let's see it's 2019 so we're seven years from that now yeah and 
I mean, you're you're as healthy as can be. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, um, I, I I guess one of the best lessons that I think that I learned from this whole thing is first of all, you always hear, "Well, God won't put more on you than you can bear." Right. But buddy, it sure feels like it, it sometimes. Does. That's right. Times, yeah. It it sure feels like it sometimes. But one of the things that I learned is through all of that, the amount of life lessons and things that I learned from that that I could never have gotten any other way. Yeah. Right. That's right. I remember after all this happened and I I was literally in a place of, of bitterness. I was very bitter. There was a moment that if I would have seen some of these people attached to this that it would have been too bad mm-hmm. because of the the bitterness that was in my heart. And I remember I went to a church service, and they started a series. The night that I went, they started a three-week series, and I believe it was on a Stephen Furtick book, if I'm not mistaken, called Enemies of the Heart. Mm-hmm. And the first service that I was in there, what they spoke about was forgiving people right. that had wronged us or forgiving right. people and letting things go. And I remember calling out names of people that I felt the most anger and hurt towards that I've ever felt. Right, And it was at that moment that there was a complete shift in just my life right. in general. Right. It was like I went from being angry and hurt and all this stuff all the time. And I'll be honest, I'd never had any <coughs> issues with bitterness before, I don't think. But there's no doubt that I had it during that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And realized the destruction right. that it can bring. Right. Because I almost felt like this I don't care yeah. attitude. And I will say that when I release those people, it released that from me. Right. Yeah. And and if I could say anything to to anyone on this podcast, it would be you can't hang on to that hurt. Right. Yeah. If people have hurt you, I don't care what they've done. Right. You cannot hang on to that. I had a conversation with someone recently and I told them I said Listen, the responsibility from us, from our side, is to ask for forgiveness. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether they grant you that forgiveness or not, mm-hmm. it's not our responsibility. Right. But our responsibility is to ask for forgiveness. Right. Mm-hmm. And in like kind, our responsibility is to forgive people right. who have done things to us regardless of how they feel. Yeah. And so if I could encourage anybody today... I know that we could go on and we could talk more and more about uh, this situation, and I wanted to talk some more about Harvey, and we'll come back and do that at another time because I know that's a podcast in itself. (laughs) But if I could say anything to anyone today, it would be let go of that hurt. Let go of anything that you're harboring against somebody, no matter what they've done, because at the end – all it will bring is destruction yeah. for you. Yeah. Brandon, I 
fought a lot of bitterness and anger and hurt during that time. And I would think that I had overcome it because I prayed about it a lot. I knew I had to get it out of my heart. And I would pray about it and think I had the victory. And then someone would say something that had happened during that time, and all of that would come up again. And it was like, okay, I haven't really forgiven. And I would pray about it again. So I just want to say this today. If you are struggling with that, just keep struggling against that bitterness taking over your life because you will come to the place where you can totally forgive. And I I could say today the exact point where I totally forgave one of the people that had hurt me so much. And when I did that, then I was able to forgive everyone else. But it was actually because the way I am, I had to bring it up. I had to bring the subject up to these people and tell them how they hurt me. Yeah, and once I did that, it, and I was nice about it, but I I laid it out on the table. This is what hurt me during this time, and then I was able to overcome that. So, just keep working on it. God will help you to get that out of your heart. Some things are very hard to get over. You don't just get over them in a few moments. Well, and and what I learned about bitterness is it's like weeds growing up in a garden that it is not very long before it can choke out everything yeah, of worth right. in everything. your life. Right. And if you don't eradicate that, right. it will choke out every good thing yes, in your life, and it will infiltrate every part of your life. Yes, it will. As always, thank you so much, everyone. First of all, thank you so much to uh, you guys for being on the podcast. It's always a pleasure, especially to be here with my parents. But thank you, everyone who is listening. Please make sure that you tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. We uh, always have new content, talk about um, exciting things coming up, talk about world events, uh, just everything that we can. So please make sure that you tune in, like, share, comment, and have a great week.